Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Triple AI podcast. I am Shima Beiji, CEO and co-founder of Thai Therapeutic and I'm here with you with the one and only Shemin Washbeer. She is the blockchain queen, she is uh, the author of Token Economy, founder of Token Kitchen and Berlin Blockchain Hub. And uh, she has been appeared on so many interesting TED Talks, which are all linked in the description box. And uh, within moments, she's going to join me as a speaker. So I'm very ex- excited for today. She is uh, someone that if you're really interested in understanding about tokenomics, token economy and blockchain and Web3, I highly recommend looking up and ordering her book. And today we're going to talk about her book and what she has, uh, she has been uh, writing about, thinking about in the space of blockchain, uh, Web3 and token economy. I think um, this conversation is gonna be very informative for those of you who are interested in understanding the dynamics of um, token economy in smart city space. So, so welcome, uh, Shermin. I am very excited to be with you. I just gave a little bit of introduction before you join the conversation about you. You are the author of Token Economy. You're writing your third edition right now. And I feel uh, extremely privileged and happy to be with you today. And we discuss structures of your, your book, what is uh, token economy, and also how we can use it later on in the conversation as we move um, into more details, how we can use token economy for urbanization, for smart cities, creating better behavior. It's really a pleasure. And I I think that the yeah, focus and the use cases uh, later on in this talk around smart cities uh, are also very valuable. Um, tokens beyond cryptocurrency, I think this is also the reason why I wrote my book to educate uh, the general public that uh, um, tokens are more than just cryptocurrencies and mm-hmm. and and uh, Bitcoin is more just a currency, but it's really paved the way for this new generation internet that we call the Web3. And mm-hmm. um, and because there is so much misconception that relatively early still in the in the emergence of this new technology, even though ten over ten years have already passed since the emergence of the Bitcoin network, um, I think there is still a lot of educational space, which uh, is why I'm really happy to be uh, on your show today to be able to answer some questions. Thank you very much. I I, I mean I fully agree. I think. Um... When I found your book, um, I really felt extremely inspired and happy. And I think uh, I really would like to thank you for writing the book because I think it really gives a solid uh, scientific at the same time, I think social grounds on what is uh, this emerging Web3. And I think um, it might be interesting if we start by giving some of the definitions laid out for the people that are new to the space and they just want to know what is a token? like. Just simple. Yeah. What if I am like somebody knows about Bitcoin? They've heard about Bitcoin. In your book, you say cryptocurrencies are not necessarily tokens. What is the best way for a person to think about tokens? Yeah, I I, I don't think I think you got that wrong. I I don't say cryptocurrencies are not tokens. I'm saying that um, we can do much more with tokens than just yeah, yeah. cryptocurrencies. It's the other yeah, way yeah, around, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, we can't discuss the issue of Web3 tokens without uh, touching about the Web3 and the role of blockchain networks. And I think maybe let's start there, right? Okay. So um, um, tokens are, in my opinion, the what we call killer application or main application of this new generation internet of the Web3, 
right. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is the Web3 and why is this a new generation internet? Um, um, if we think about the history of the Web, uh, the first, uh, I mean, we've had the internet since the 60s, but then uh, most people couldn't use it because uh, you needed to be a programmer and understand command line to be able to connect with another computer. And most people still didn't have computers in the 60s, only big mm -hmm. institutions, which is why it started around military first and then spread to academia. And it was only in the early 1990s that more and more people started to have computers at home um and uh and uh but it was still not user friendly and with the first generation web uh, with the world wide web uh, uh it was like this visual application and easy markup language to generate visual websites that allowed anyone with even uh no computer skills uh, to learn how to program uh, visual websites and mm -hmm. to navigate the web through what what we call links today, but was referred to as hyperlinks back then, right? Um, that was a revolution. It didn't exist before. Uh, nowadays, for the people who grew up with the internet, that's very normal, right? And in this first generation internet, our web, World Wide Web, um, uh, it was referred to as the information data highway because it revolutionized information. Anyone could create with a few lines of code a website but they didn't know what to do with a website. So many websites in the early 1990s, yeah. and you might be too young to remember, um, uh, just said hello world because people created a website, but they didn't know what to put on it. So it said hello world. It's like, hi, I'm there. I have a website, mm -hmm. but I don't know what to put on it. So it took a society around 10 years to really understand the power of websites, the power mm -hmm. of navigating, having visual, websites and what we could do with it. First, it, they said that you can put content online, but then we saw with the emergence of the web too, it wasn't the revolution, it was an evolution. People started mm -hmm. to, um, e websites became more programmable um, and more usable, uh, user-friendly uh, and easier to create uh, complex websites. And then we saw, wait a second, we can do different things with websites. We can create social media websites uh, around people communicating with each other in a multi-directional way. We can uh, create um, um, e-commerce websites for people to buy and sell stuff in a multi-dimensional, in uh, kind of on a marketplace, um, on a digital marketplace. Uh, we can create content educational websites around Wikipedia, etc. And um, so uh, this was the evolution of the kind of a World Wide Web until now. But the problem with the Web 2 was that while it brought buyers and sellers and content producers, content consumers closer to each other, it created citizen journalism, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is that the, the way the data is managed in the back end of the Internet, it's, it's kind of centralized. Uh, the people who offer the Internet services um, are manage the data and control the data and we have no no idea of what happens with that data so it's a kind of privately managed internet right mm -hmm. around privately managed services mm -hmm. the web3 is a big game changer because with the introduction with the bitcoin is more than just a currency it was first and foremost a public payment network and it built on the idea of peer-to-peer -peer network and it took it one step beyond and it created a public infrastructure that is collectively maintained 
uh, and where kind of the the uh, the back end of the internet is now maintained by public networks instead of private institutions. Mm -hmm. So data is managed collectively rather than privately. And on top of that, kind of what websites were to the first generation internet tokens are to this collective internet, right? So think of blockchain networks as the backbone of this new generation internet. They, they register the state of all tokens uh, mm -hmm. and um, the, uh, the state of all tokens is collectively managed. And in public and permissionless networks like the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network, anyone can become a co-manager of this network. Yes, anyone mm -hmm. can download the, the Bitcoin protocol or the Ethereum protocol and start validating transactions and start uh, working for the network, uh, keeping the network safe and intact and start earning network tokens for their work. And that's a completely paradigm shift from this kind of um, centralized web to the or privately managed web to a collectively managed internet that is much more transparent. And the tokens are the killer applications, but there is a big misconception. Uh, uh, tokens are very often still reduced to either only cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, because it started with Bitcoin. Um, or uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. Or there are now more and more uh, people start to understand is uh, we can use tokenization to represent not only currencies, whether virtual or kind of real currencies like uh, government-based currencies, um, uh, but we can represent commodities, we can represent uh, real estate, we can represent art, real art, digital art. Um, and uh, when we represent assets that are unique, we call them non-fungible tokens. These are tokens that represent assets that are unique. And um, uh, probably a lot of people have heard about so-called non-fungible tokens, also called NFTs. And here again, a misconception, many people, when they hear NFTs, they think it's art only, right? Because mm -hmm. this was the use case that exploded a year and a half ago, and everybody started to talk about NFTs. And the art space is really pushing this use case for good reason, because it's, it, it can really uh, do so many uh, great things for creators. But we can do much more things with non-fungible tokens. We can represent every type of asset, real or virtual, and every type of asset access, right? We can even represent CO2, reduction of CO2 through tokenization and incentivize people uh, for their reduction of CO2. So tokens can, to stop this long answer, tokens can really represent any type of property, right? Such as a currency or a commodity, or an ownership, a deed of a house, or a ownership of uh, a signed painting, digital painting. Um, but they can also represent not only ownership rights, property rights, but also access rights. They can also represent voting rights. They can also represent management rights. And um, uh, and I think as more and more use cases emerge over time, and we can talk about some of them today, uh, people will start to understand that tokenization, uh, the concept of tokenization. For now, for many people, it's still very abstract, and I understand why. Thank you very much. I think, first of all, I think it's very great that you opened uh, the conversation from blockchain, because I think it also gave me 
a little bit of, I think, thinking space to, to see the similarities that is happening in the web one to web three evolution. So I'm thinking, speaking of smart cities in particular, like um, I realized that um, the web one is kind of like the current view of smart cities. It is very much tech centric that the big, big tech companies, Cisco, IBM, Google, uh, Toyota, all these companies are defining the notion of what it means to be a smart city, where actually the voice of people, which also I write in my book, kind of, kind of in parallel to the conversation that you're bringing is that, well, nobody has ever asked people, what do you mean by smart? What do you consider as being smart in a city space? And I think if we link it to the paradigm shift that is happening at the level of web, and then also connecting it with the Internet of Things, where it's a dominant paradigm right now in the smart city space. And the rise of, I think, tokenization and blockchain, all of a sudden, the information that is collected by these things, whether be a smartwatch or a car or whatever, can be tokenized, can be used as a, a information currency. And yeah, I would like to bring some, yeah. Exactly. I would like to bring some examples because this is not theoretical. We already mm -hmm. have tokenized use cases mm -hmm. paving the way towards what you're saying. For example, I'm not I'm sure if you're aware, for example, one of the things we did. Um, so the basis for smart, smart cities and smart devices and smart interconnected IoT is data. So uh, the problem is that people um, who own the data usually uh, don't know how to train AI models and people who create AI models to kind of uh, create useful applications, they have not access to private data for good mm -hmm. reason, for privacy reasons. So uh, we have this Berlin-based uh, uh, startup uh, that created the Ocean Protocol Foundation and uh, uh, they created uh, a tokenized marketplace for uh, tokenizing data and the, the selling and the accessing of access right management of data through tokenization. They, they allow any uh, person who owns data, legally owns data, to share their private data or company-based data in a privacy-preserving manner to create data NFTs that point to data sets, but everything is encrypted and allow other people to either download the data in plain text or run compute activities for training AI models directly mm -hmm. on the premises of the, the data seller. And in fact, uh, the Ocean Protocol is one of, is a very interesting use cases which will pave the way for smart cities and the Ocean Protocol Foundation is, is already collaborating with cities to, uh, so they start providing uh, data, et cetera. Um, um, uh, I guess this is a very interesting use case and um, it will be featured in the next iteration of my book. So in the current iteration of my book, I have a few use cases, but not the uh, ocean data tokens uh, with the example of the ocean protocol. But I think data tokens are uh, paving the way for future, um, you know, um, federated learning for AI and mm -hmm. smart cities can only be smart based on data. And then the question is what, what AI models do we do, right? Um, and this is a governance question, it's an ethical question, it's a political question, but the debate, and, and this is the next step, but at the basis of it is data. And data has to be av available in a privacy preserving manner, and um, it has to be uh, also relevant and valuable. So this is, this is a thing that uh, the Ocean Protocol, for example, is building. 
Another use case for tokens in the context of cities is what uh, I was doing or we were doing back in my time uh, when I was still the director of the Research Institute for Crypto Economics in Vienna. We were collaborating with the city of Vienna Mm -hmm. on uh, a project, a tokenization project. The city of Vienna is quite advanced, I have to say, when it comes to um, uh, using information technology for smart cities. They, they have a big focus on that and budget on that. And that was back in, I think, 2018. They already had blockchain use cases. Uh, they knew about it and they're like, okay, we want to understand tokenization. This was even before or as I was writing my book on token economy. And um, so, uh, we did a few workshops uh, back then, uh, my colleagues at the university and me, we did a few workshops with them. And together with the, uh, with the city of Vienna, identified that why don't we start with an app that, um, why don't we start with a kind of CO2 token? Mm -hmm. in the way that um, we we uh, we want to incentivize, find a system, tokenized system to incentivize uh, citizens uh, of Vienna or um, uh, inhabitants of Vienna to reduce their CO2 footprint uh, in the, in uh, for mobility, right? So instead of taking the car, um, can we, and that was the research question, applied research question, use tokenization as an incentive system um, to uh, track and trace and, 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 and incentivize through tokenization how like um, citizens move through the city and if they can prove that mm -hmm. they saved CO2 because they walked or took the bike or took public transport and you would you know, uh, with a simple app on a mobile phone, and most people have mobile phones today, you already ha have motion sensors in them that can evaluate how you're moving, right? Be mm -hmm. based, uh, uh, based on your stop and go behavior. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, if the geolocation is activated, how much uh, distance you've, uh, you've, uh, you've left. So the app can track how you're moving through the city and can, um, can automatically determine uh, 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 how you're like, what kind of, uh, if you're walking or taking some kind of public transport or if you're taking the car. And if you can prove that you didn't take the car, but something else, there's also public data available of how much CO2 you're saving as opposed to taking the car. Now we can mm -hmm. take this Delta and, um, and attach a value to it. We can track uh, based on, for example, and back then the idea was um, that uh, how much do we take 10 kilograms of CO2 emission reduction or 20 or 30 uh, would be equivalent to a city token that you get as a reward, right? And then the question was, what can you do with a city token? Because if it's money, we have a bunch of legal questions. Uh, the city exactly. can't just create their own kind of money. Then the central bank would come and say whatever. And then there are many other legal questions, uh, not only financial market authority questions, but also privacy preserving questions. So it was this applied research project we did um, to uh, find out how we can use tokenization based on a voucher system to incentivize the citizens. The idea then was to uh, collaborate with institutions in the cultural field, and they were happy to, like operas and, and, and theaters, be part of the system and uh, give free tickets or meet the artist entry tickets. You know, you could meet an mm -hmm. opera singer and, and, and uh, have kind of a marketplace of things that you can kind of buy with the tokens you earned, right? Mm -hmm. And um, this was an amazing system. It had a lot of 
questions around data privacy, obviously, et cetera, et cetera, many legal questions also. Um, unfortunately, uh, just before it was uh, the beta version or the, the uh, closed beta was supposed to be released with a, a test audience, uh, we went into the pandemic. And based oh, on the okay. pandemic, everybody was in a lockdown, nobody was going to theaters. So the project was halted and has not been retaken yet. But I think that this, um, this project is one of many projects in what now we call the refi field, regenerative finance, tokens that try to incentivize some kind of regenerative uh, activity like the uh, reduction of CO2 or uh, water retention, etc. So if you go online today on Twitter and you put hashtag refi, you will see that there are so many projects in the space of tokenization and regenerative finance, kind of how can you incentivize people to do the right thing and earn kind of money or some kind of vouchers that are valid in some kind of system. So I think uh, many communities, um, uh, virtual communities, but also uh, government entity communities are looking into the possibility of using regenerative finance applications to incentivize people kind of if they can prove that they did the right thing uh, in the context of SDGs, the sustainability development goals um, um, that uh, uh, have been defined by the UN and ratified by so many countries, uh, then you can get something from your community uh, and yeah, we're still in the trial and uh, error phase, but mm -hmm. a lot is happening, which is very exciting. So I think these two kind of examples um, are examples for the uh, uh, for the smart city, smart communities. Uh, Maybe maybe let's talk about smart communities, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not only in cities that we need exactly. smartness. Uh, uh, the, uh, maybe the third example um, is what I'm doing now in, in Portugal. Um, I, I'm, I've moved from Germany to Portugal and I bought a farm in the countryside. And what we're trying to do on this farm, uh, the farm has a lot of olive trees and more space. So we're trying to find out what can we do with tokenization for farmers? So not smart cities, but smart farming. Exactly. Um, so uh, basically, how can we uh, prove, uh, for example, sustainable agricultural activities, right? So it all starts with, for example, so uh, the, uh, I want, we want to start with a system that I call proof of olive tree. We have very old olive trees on that farm. Right. And um, there is public information, scientific information. Um, it has to be validated. And we're checking this now that old trees, obviously, that is this is clear, have more water retention because they have older roots. They need less water. So if we would assume that sustainable farming is also related to the amount of water that you need to spend uh, to, 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 um, um, to, uh, to maintain your orchard of olive trees, young trees that are planted and might have more returns like in, in the type of uh, 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 kilogram per, per tree uh, when they are still younger, that might be true. But I, at the same time as a farmer need to spend so much more water you know mm -hmm. and if water is a scarce resource we want to incentivize a water retention so for example by proving that the age uh, the existence of an olive tree and the age of an olive tree um, um, uh, through tokenization uh, 
um, we can uh, incentivize uh, sustainable farming through, for example, um, um, uh, maintaining old trees, not cutting old trees, instead of, uh, you know, planting new trees for, uh, um, you know, what has been done over the last few decades, uh, cutting the old trees because they don't give as much produce, but uh, nobody thought about the collateral damage of cutting these old trees uh, because new trees need more water, etc., uh, etc. Et so what are we going to do? We need to tag each olive tree uh, needs to have a unique blockchain identity, right? Because we need, uh, and, and so we need to tag the tree and give each tree a blockchain wallet. And this needs a mini computer like uh, uh, there with a blockchain wallet and that can communicate with sensors that are installed around the tree. That can, for example, sensors that measure what is happening in the soil, what is the soil quality? The question mm -hmm. is what sensors that we have that can automatically measure which kind of indicators of soil quality and how, and if we know what we need to measure, these sensors can measure things automatically and communicate with the crypto wallet and attach metadata uh, about like the soil quality around it um, uh, of what's happening in the land and, and to measure, for example, what is, um, you know, to prove that the olive trees still exist, we probably need to have drones flying over the land uh, or satellite pictures that are valid enough um, to prove that the tree, that same tree is actually still there. It was not cut uh, or it was not replaced by a younger tree. So how do we measure based uh, kind of things that happen in the land that can give us indicators about sustainable farming? How can we do that in a reliable way? What can we measure automatically? Where do we need kind of human oracles, like an expert coming who understands that particular region in Portugal and the type of olive trees and had, who can evaluate how old that olive tree is based on which we can now attach scientific information to it because science says that a 150 year old olive tree saves so and so much water, et cetera. So you see, it's a big endeavor, but, um, we can now use tokenization through proof of olive tree, attaching metadata to it, uh, but um, tokenization for smart cities or smart farming can only happen in combination with collecting data of what happens. Now, collecting mm -hmm. data has become, uh, and, 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 and for that we need IOTs, interconnected devices, mm -hmm. but for these internet connected devices need to have crypto wallets because without the crypto wallets, they're not web three compatible, right? Exactly. And we need to design it in a, in a, in a privacy preserving way. So there are many technical questions, legal questions, ethical questions and economic questions and exactly. scientific questions related to particular use cases uh, of how to design a token for agriculture, will be different, the, the kind of the approach will be very different than how to design tokens that are relevant in the context of smart city. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, what is the goal, uh, the goal of these tokens? What should they incentivize? Thank you. I mean, I am very, very excited. I smile so much because of um, how beautiful it is, this proof of olive tree. It's very also 
in line with uh, what um, my team and I are doing in, in the space of smart cities, we're building, uh, my book is called Mindful Smart Cities. The idea was to bring more mindfulness into the space of technology and kind of create more conscious behavior into technological behavior. So in a way, we're also, we're launching our token, I think maybe end of this year, I think we're gonna be able to have our initial coin offering where we focus also on, um, uh, how we can build a system that would um, reward uh, conscious behavior within the network. So we're kind of locking in consciousness into the system by, um, by aligning the purpose of the system based on a particular kind of behavior. In this case, is to generate more mindful, smart communities, like mm -hmm. speaking of communities. So I, I smile because we also have a kind of a similar kind of proof of um, something that you're doing and contributing to the to the system, and um, in a way, it's it's a it's a connection to the the previous question I had. I think uh, was that um, I think what I'm hearing from what you describe about the possibility of potential of tokens is this. Um, ability to lift more people from the lower uh, hierarchy of needs from deficiency needs to more of kind of growth needs so kind of like we're in kind of this survival uh, driven societies where kind of scarce resources are scarce we don't manage them correctly there is this tragedy of tokens so all of these concepts but we have on the other hand a lot of experts like uh, climate scientists agriculture scientists, uh, data scientists, complexity scientists, where necessarily they don't talk with each other. With tokens, mm -hmm. probably we're able to create this, um, um, I think the layer of um, expert opinion that we're looking for, like creating this data layer of expert opinions, at the same time connecting it with IoT, and then connecting it to something uh, I think I, I don't know if you're aware of that by, uh, by a book that is actually written by my co-founder Dan Mapes and Gabriel Rene they, they wrote a book it's called the spatial web which is uh, basically a kind of like a you can think of it as a as an operation operating system for the whole web tree so what you mentioned about each tree has a unique id in their book they define actually the same thing that well you can give uh, everything you can create everything internet of everything by giving them a uh, basically an id in the hyperspace they call it hyperspace uh, transaction protocol you can give them this ID in the crypto space, in this uh, Web3 space, where they can communicate with everything. So you can manage them based on the AI that you put in a system so that everything becomes like really interconnected. So I think something I wanted to share, maybe this is something that is relevant to the uh, proof of olive oil that is, uh, that can- Olive tree. Uh, what did I say? Olive oil. <laughs> but we can <laughs> also create a- Yes, maybe we also want to derive from that. Uh, once we start tagging the trees, uh, actually one can maybe harvest uh, the tree specific olives and then have a, a tree specific um, uh, olive oil uh, that uh, because some trees have better produce because uh, they're better quality or they're in the, in the best position than others. So there mm -hmm. could be even a proof of olive oil in the sense of the provenance, <laughs> the exact provenance of the olive oil. You can know when you in the future 
buy a bottle of olive oil, which farm and which tree it came from. In theory, mm -hmm. the question is, does it make sense, right? <laughs> Do we know to want to know that? But all these kind of proofs, we can create them. But the, the basis mm -hmm. of this is rightly what you're saying is that we need to be able to tag um, to have the interconnected devices um, and make uh, make even like supply chain objects along uh, along the supply chain, um, not only machine devices but also objects along the supply chain and and even agricultural uh, entities uh, give them um, give them identities. It's a two sorted mm -hmm. it's a two sorted um, uh, kind of uh, solution, right? Because it has a lot of potential, as you say, tokenization has a lot of potential for, uh, and, and, and the prerequisites of tokenization are the wallets and, and connecting these wallets with each other. But um, there are also many challenges and many threats. Uh, I don't necessarily think that tokenization is a blueprint for a solution to uh, removing, it could be, uh, as you say, I think the word potential is very important in that context and you use it yourself. Yes, I think tokens and the Web3 have the potential to remove a lot of the low level scarcity needs that we have and create new, new systems for value creation through expertise uh, and, and uh, doing the right thing that doesn't only uh, incentivize uh, kind of the private accumulation of wealth uh, while extracting uh, from uh, other actors within our complex uh, econ economic, socioeconomic systems. Um, but um, only if we get it right. And unfortunately, and I have to uh, break this bad news, uh, the, I'm seeing in this Web3 space that even those who have the, um, uh, who and I, some, I know many of the actors in the space, uh, they really want to create a more equitable society, more transparent society, but they try to do it with DeFi means that build on the uh, notions of scarcity of our current mm -hmm. financial market systems. And then I'm like, this is not how it's gonna work. So, and then I see that many of these new protocols that want to do good things, they still, it's very tech driven they don't hire data scientists. They don't hire enough economic people who understand economics. And I, I specifically mean micro and macroeconomics. I don't mean people who went to business school and studied marketing or I don't know, um, uh, HR management. Not that this is not important, but it's not that relevant in the context of blockchain networks and tokenization. We need to move up uh, a kind of the scientific uh, Echelon um, and uh, in this new economic uh, web of the Web three, it's about economic incentives. It's so you we need to hire people, and this is not happening enough. Behavioral scientists, microeconomists, mm -hmm. monetary policies. When every blockchain network has their own monetary policy because they have their own kind of digital currency that to incentivize their network actors, these blockchain networks and other Web3 networks have much more similarities to nation states and the dynamics of nation states than to private companies. So we need to hire people who are political scientists, macroeconomists, microeconomists, behavioral economists. And these Web3 networks are not doing that. 
So mm. I'm, I'm writing this in my book. Uh, there is this chapter on purpose-driven token. In the next book, uh, purpose-driven tokens will be a whole part with use cases. And um, we need to understand that the, the know-how that we're teaching at universities today is completely outdated for the company for the institutions we're building, the decentralized institutions that we're building in the Web3 won't need people that are coming out of business school, okay? Because they have the right, the, the wrong know-how. We need complexity uh, scientists who study complexity science, uh, maybe some kind of, uh, some branch of economics, right? Um, some, uh, uh, or we need uh, people who understand network economics, network science, graph theory, um, anything that goes, uh, um, uh, environmental scientists, these are the people, this is the know-how we need in this growing complex Web3 network ecosystem. And all these Web3 networks interact with the other Web3 networks. And I think that uh, the dependencies and the complexities completely transcend the complexities of a private institution, mm -hmm. such as Facebook or Amazon, that's controlled by one person and their shareholders, you know, and they have top-down management. Uh, and it's not based on open source code that everybody can plug into. And then if something goes wrong here, everything collapses here, right? So we need, like we're entering this new zone. And uh, uh, I fear that uh, while we have the potential to fix a lot of things in this new zone, right? Um, uh, there is still a lot of, based on the misinformation and misconception that many people have, even in the Web3, uh, the, th the threat of it all going wrong and making things worse is also here. And we mm -hmm. really have to talk about that too. Um, like what we're seeing in DeFi, for example, is basically Wall Street on steroids. Is the mm -hmm. rich getting richer based exactly. on information asymmetries uh, and it's not towards the betterment of society. You know, and uh, this is not saying that DeFi applications are bad, but like the way they're being applied is making worse things worse. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if you think that capital capitalism in its current form is not going well, uh, well, the, the current DeFi ecosystem is perpetuating capitalism, but on that type of capitalism on steroids. So uh, mm. no tokenization is not uh, necessarily going to solve everything by its own. We need more discussion around what the opportunities and the threats are. I mean, thank you so much. It's really, I mean, I have two page of questions that are about resilience and also um, leadership because as I was reading your book, I. I was uh, noticing that well uh, well first of all I, I have to I have to say I think your book was probably no pro is like it was the first book that I saw that is defining blockchain and web3 as a complex socio uh, socio-technical system so my PhD was in complex systems resilience of complex system and I was really happy to see this um, that you define non-linearities, what can go wrong, what can, and these are all in my mind before. Yes. So I see that, well, agreeing with you that not so much discussions are out there. So I think it's very valuable. And I think it, it kind of sobers up the conversation that what can be, what can go wrong as well. As you say also in your book that um, 
this is not a kind of a um, environment that you can say I can figure it out later. It can be okay. It's just you're jumping into the ocean while you don't know how to swim. You can just learn to swim while you're kind of in the ocean because it's kind of a totally different uh, environment that I think things can go wrong. So um, having said that, I, I wrote a question uh, and a kind of a discussion maybe, I can put it in that way, is that there is so much uh, description in your book about what Web3 is and what token economy can enable, like token platforms, you say token economy is um, a step after Web2, which is a platform um, uh, economy. But it seems that, and you also, if I understood correctly, you, you pointed out to the the way of thinking that is not aligned with the ecosystem of Web3. So I was thinking, what if we were to imagine a political leadership that is aligned with Web3, what is that political leadership? If you would identify a couple of kind of um, features that a potential leadership for Web3 can emerge and like investors, political leaders, uh, people who are of influence then can begin to change their behavior? What is What are those toxic behaviors and what are those positive things that we need to adopt in order to be more, I think, functional and also useful in that three space? Mm -hmm. Big question, I think. Yes, um, let me um, start by repeating what I said before because it's really the basis of it. The Web3 are the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin is very often reduced to being a currency, but uh, it is a payment, peer-to-peer -peer payment network where you can transfer a financial kind of money without the necessity of banks. It is a publicly maintained payment infrastructure. Anyone can, and, and this is a paradigm shift because um, so far, we had private goods that were managed by private institutions, such as company, corporations, smaller, bigger companies, sometimes not-for-profit companies. Um, and, um, and then we had the state uh, kind of governmental institutions uh, providing public goods. The Bitcoin network, for the first time, introduced, based on the idea of and, and uh, on the evolution of peer-to-peer -peer networks, introduced through its concept of proof of work, you know, which is very much criticized today for partially valid reasons. But what people don't understand is that the concept of proof of work really changed is a paradigm shift and transcends the idea of so-called capitalism and communism right? Mm -hmm. Because it incentivizes any random individual to participate in the upkeeping of this public payment network. And if they prove that they, they, they usefully validated transactions, created blocks, etc., and there is a mathematical complexities behind it, but basically to reduce it to its essence, if you contribute to the network to keep it intact, functional, and safe, you can be rewarded with Bitcoin tokens for doing so. Mm -hmm. And these Bitcoin tokens are minted in the moment um, that you performed this work. So if you prove that you worked, you get rewarded, right? With network tokens. That means that individuals are rewarded for maintaining a public good and the governments of governance of that public good is collaborative. It's no single institution controls Bitcoin. It's all the people 
who uh, uh, contribute to the Bitcoin network, um, and there are different stakeholders and different roles, can decide upon the future a kind of constitutional computation of this network. And the constitutional computation is what is in the kind of written in the protocol that is automatically enforced. But then you also have like the, um, the rules that are more fuzzy rules uh, that are not in the cons computational constitution are around the human governance of mm -hmm. this network and the protocol upgrades that we've seen over the many years of Bitcoin network's existence. So, so we're entering a world where, and the Bitcoin network was kind of the first and probably is the only true decentralized autonomous uh, organization. And the word decentralized autonomous organization in short DAO has become more and more of a buzzword in the scene. So these blockchain networks and other Web3 networks on a protocol level or on an application level are more or less, are, are decentralized networks or organizations. And uh, some of them are have more autonomy uh, have uh, and 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 a lot of these DAOs are controlled by a single institution, but the rest is decentralized. So autonomous is not always relevant. But basically, this this on top of the Web three with smart contracts, we can build decentralized organizations, and these decentralized organizations are a new institutional player of uh, kind of in, in our global system where we have nation states and then we have non-state non actors uh, such as big corporations and NGOs uh, that influence our socioeconomic dynamics uh, on a global scale. And now mm -hmm. we have the emergence of non-private internet institutions that are organized as DAOs. And the first one was Bitcoin. And, mm -hmm. and these DAOs need are based on the idea of collaborative um, governance. Mm -hmm. So for that collaborative governance, we need to understand that there is not one person dictating where it goes. It's more, in theory, it's more democratic. But democracy also means the bigger the group is, the more divide we have between the group members, we will have power structures in that group. And then how do we want to um, maintain these public goods, whether they're public payment networks or public computing networks or a public social media networks such as Steemit or a public uh, data market like the ocean mm -hmm. network, which is also collaboratively maintained, etc. Um, so how do we want to create this governance? And this is not something, we don't have role models for that, maybe a mm -hmm. little bit from nation states, um, but there is little we can learn from because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And very often in the space, I see that the people, even the people from the Web3 space, especially the now second, third generation of Web3 application builders, they try to build these applications like centralized institutions. They don't understand the concept of DAOs. And so mm -hmm. I think the concept of political, like this uh, collaborative infrastructure and decision-making around collaborative infrastructure mm -hmm. um, is very important. And there is things we can learn from political economy and the history of 
how nation states have worked based on their constitutions. And we can see, unfortunately, we also see it in the Web3 space. People always claim that they want democracy, but they don't want to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. uh, for it, you know, for they, they want to be able to vote. And I think that voting is the only thing you do in democracy, but you have to do more, you know, mm -hmm. because when you vote, you just cast your vote and, uh, and then you delegate it to someone else. And then, but, but a democracy is about like educating yourself about what is happening, about trying to contribute in your own little sphere, what you can, obviously you can't, we need delegation in bigger societies, but we're seeing in the Web3 space that claims to be more democratic and should be because it's collaboratively maintained um, networks that we're seeing the same patterns emerge. Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing in nation states where people want democracy, but they can't really handle it um, um, because, um, because they're uh, of the information overload, because they're too busy during the day, uh, they don't have time to make decisions. But when something goes wrong, they always have an opinion of who was, you know, what went wrong. But, uh, but um, so I'm exaggerating, of course, but uh, what I'm trying to say, if we want best practices or we need leaders in the space, I don't, I don't think we can find leaders. We, we should, be more humble, humble and try to understand that while this is a new technology that has a lot of potential, the technology on its own, it's not a magic wand. Mm. It will not resolve human issues that we've already had in our social interactions in the non-digital world, you know? So if we're humble enough to learn that, that if we, and, and some people aren't, they think that with code alone, they can reduce, you know, bureaucracy and, 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 and corruption and incompetence. But this is only true to a certain extent, but not as a general, you know, because, uh, uh, and let's be humble and try to understand the technology and its possibilities. And let's try to understand who we need to consult to to shape this technology better. Mm. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think something also, I mean, it brings me also to when I uh, kind of wrote my book, uh, uh, I, I, I say that uh, exactly kind of the same um, kind of line of uh, thoughts that we think by, by just applying and wiring cities, we make them smart. So kind of like a surgical beautification of a space yeah. by just putting um, sensors, you can make it smart. But if you really begin to look at society and look at the, the real meaning of intelligence in a metaphysical and philosophical sense, you realize, well, you can have smart cities if you don't have smart people. And meaning that if, if they don't want to engage with the city, if they don't want to engage in their own evolution, you won't get uh, actually yeah. any smart society. And I think the... Yes, please. Just to, to, to reassure you on this point, the thing is just collecting data with devices creates a lot of noise. Yeah, the yeah, intelligent yeah. part or the smart part is when I start to identify which type of data is relevant for which type of application to make our lives better, equitable, easier, whatever, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, but, in a sense... but, but that is a human decision. 
yeah. right? It's a human decision because it's based on values. It's based mm -hmm. on experience uh, of, of how socioeconomic patterns mm -hmm. between people emerge. I mean, um, we have to understand the natural patterns that happen when people live together, you know, in, in denser or less denser areas. And, and be, because not everyone is the same, we're not computers, there are conflicts mm. left and right. So to, to understand how we can um, foster through the noise of all that data that we can collect based on technology and computerization and IoT, mm -hmm. how do we process that data you know, and uh, in an intelligent way. And how do I now, based on, on data, process it, create intelligent, meaningful, let's, let's say meaningful AI models based on the values that we have and the values diverge, you know, people have different values that in itself mm -hmm. is a conflict, but like have a broad consensus over um, uh, the, what kind of applications are valuable and connect that with the web three. So really the power of this next generation internet in my opinion is by connecting IoT with AI, with tokenization, but with human, human. experience, with historic baking into these protocols, whether it's the mm -hmm. AI protocols, the AI algorithms or the blockchain protocols, mm -hmm. baking into the rule sets that we define in these computer algorithms and protocols, we need to bring our human intelligence based on historical understanding, scientific and historical and human understanding. Mm. And only when we can do that, we will have smart cities. Otherwise, it might be dystopian, dystopian, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, it's, it's exactly, I mean, that's why, I mean, the name of this podcast is Triple AI. And the name Triple AI is actually a mix of um, with my partner, Dan, when we were kind of founding the company, we realized, well, Right now, smart city is just artificial intelligence and sensors. What did we need? A vacant individuals, people that are vacant, so it's another AI. We also need ancient intelligence, historic universal body of wisdom that is kind of around the world and we don't take them into account in kind of really understanding what value is. And then also uh, artificial intelligence. That is the triple AI model that we as a company kind of function on and we aspire to kind of bring more people into kind of this awareness. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, all these said, I fully agree with them and it's a, it's a challenge, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting space. I feel for the first time, probably we have total kind of maybe agency in creating the type of future we want to live in. Yes, and, uh, and I, I want to go one step beyond and it has nothing to do with technology. It is very spiritual. I and it. I think, it yeah, it is. <laughs> I think we need to meditate more. Oh, we need a, to be that's a much. Good one, I think. I think we need all of us, uh, and some people do. I certainly don't do it enough. Um, uh, but I think we need to reach more peaceful inner states, because mm. upon these peaceful inner states, where we connect with ourselves, and through this connection with ourselves, we can on a non-computer level, 
connect with other people, you know, on an emotional, spiritual level. This will be the best basis to build the computerized models of our future. I mean, I, I feel we I can't. A uh, we, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think because we, exactly we all what we want to say, actually, uh, apologies yes. interrupting it, it excited me because in a way it's kind of it's difficult to speak i mean my uh, like my team and i the core of the argument is to moving into enlightenment to become enlightened individual and it's kind of difficult to put this argument with tech kind of ecosystem because of kind of the silo thinking but in a way what we what we talk yeah. about today is only possible if we transform from inside Yes, but it's not that siloed. If it were that siloed, a bunch of Silicon Valley startup piece wouldn't go to here, what is it called, Burning Man, and throw every psilocybin yeah. they have in, in and see rainbows. I, I think we have, uh, because I think what many people might not understand on an intellectual level, but they might understand it on a kind of intuitive level. And this is why they go to these festivals where they transcend mm -hmm. with, 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 with drugs and everything, is that basically there are two ways that we can transcend as a human species. One is through uh, meditation and the natural connectedness, mm -hmm. right? Of, you know, through, through just understanding that the body doesn't stop here, right? Uh, the physical mm -hmm. body does, but there is so much more. And we are connected with, there is this collective intelligence, right, that we have and that we can tap into in meditative states uh, with, with the help of uh, certain uh, drugs. And then we found as a human species, a technological way to connect through the internet, through mm -hmm. artificial intelligence that mm -hmm. is trying to collect a lot of data, but because this is like knowledge of people and the trails they leave and mm -hmm. disseminate that data. So really we have two paths to transcendence. One is through science and technology, evidence-based, data-based, and one is through this kind of more analog form. And I think we need to marry these two approaches. Yeah, yeah. to yes. bring them together, yeah. Because otherwise we have tech centric, otherwise it's too digital, you know, and in the end, and then we will come into a state of a human matrix where we're only in a mm. augmented virtual reality. But do we want to be that? Maybe we do. Um, I personally don't. And mm. I personally think that we should, we should value science and technology for what it is without forgetting the rest which is also really important. I mean, I am very kind of beyond happy that you brought kind of, you, you kind of steered the conversation in this direction. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I can't add anything more. It's just, I fully agree. I, I really think um, that, um, I think, what I can say is that what we do as uh, in my space in Thai therapeutic, our, our own institution, we, our aim is exactly that. How we are, for example, I'm coming from a Persian roots. I have a lot of kind of readings in meditation and Sufism. And we're, and my partner as well, he's American, but he, he has kind of solid knowledge, understanding of Sufism and meditation. So we're trying to, we're building this, um, 
a more um, kind of integ integrative approach to reality, where we bring all these um, trajectories of transcendence into one space where we as human species really become fully realized. And, uh, and I think from that space, as I said earlier, is where we can truly show up, truly stop blaming, truly participating. And, and I think doing our own, you said it nicely, in our own little kind of operating space, we can be I, but at the same time be related to the V collective that we're building. Yes, and to circle back to the power of blockchain networks and the Web3 and tokenization, we now have a platform, a governance platform, a governance web that allows us to more e easily have trustful interactions with people we don't mm. trust because we might not, we don't know them. We can't smell them. They're not my neighbor. But I can start to have a kind of a communities, digital communities, uh, in a tr more trustful social and economic interactions with them over the internet without third parties and bridging the gap between the analog communities and these digital communities these digital internet tribes and bitcoin the bitcoin network is a digital internet tribe and mm -hmm. and and their currency is a bitcoin token they're like uh, and and the digital hunter gatherers yeah and the, the ethereum network is another digital internet tribe right well, they have their own rule sets uh, part of the rules are, are in the constitutional computation and the blockchain protocol part of the rules are like um uh, like informal rules that are being informally executed along the um kind of opinion leaders uh, around that network um and 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 so we're in the space where we we can be part of more tribes not only the analog tribes of our family and friends and family in in our analog communities but around these digital internet tribes it's not entirely new because in the web 2 we have seen these digital internet tribes emerge but they were controlled like the rules of the tribe were always controlled by a single institution and the difference now like facebook like amazon like you know um even our banks or universities you know you can use their platforms but you have to stick to their rules now we have a, a new type of internet that allows me to connect with other people I don't even personally know, and we create our own digital tribe with our own rules and with our own inclusiveness and around our own, like, you know, and um, so this will be very interesting. Um, and it, it can empower us if if we do it consciously, which is mm -hmm. why I really was happy also to come on your, your show because you had this, um, um uh, this tagline of consciousness also and i think consciousness a lot of people today are unconscious they're in this hamster wheel of repeating what they've been said or they've seen other people do and and it's not even judgmental it's because our economic systems which are a result of our social systems have uh, created uh, for many people in our society no room no time there is no time to think and to reflect mm. only those who are have maybe more money uh, or maybe a bit more willpower to take themselves out of the the, the current system and look from outside and it's like what am i doing here you know mm -hmm. is this really how i want to live um 
but most people don't have the time or the privilege because they're like struggling to make ends meet on a daily basis right but so they they can't be more conscious because they don't have time but maybe those who are already trying to create more consciousness can expand the the sphere of other people and and with more consciousness we will have a, a good web three with less consciousness it can really really become uh and i am quite concerned um the web three can become a mega control machine and it can become the exact opposite of what we have been advocating mm -hmm. um or or, or people in the space have been advocating because everyone has an identity things are much more transparent everything can be tracked and traced and if we don't have the right privacy measures if we don't have the right algorithms that execute things well it can it can like really backfire to be the exact opposite of what uh, many people would like to advocate it to be so there there is no magic wand the, the power is in each and every one of us to a understand i think maybe to to uh to conclude there is much more to to speak about right mm -hmm. but but i think the aim of my work is to to communicate to people the power is in your hands you know but you can only have power if you have knowledge which is why i write the book because knowledge is the basis of understanding how you can contribute to make this new technology to to it's not a technology it's a technology the technology is a tool and it is a tool for our social and economic interactions but how we use the tool is up to you it's up to you it's up to me it's up to anyone and if we lean back and let the people who understand technology create the technology and 10 years later come and complain about it it's too late you have to understand it now and contribute now mm -hmm. perfect i mean this is an amazing i think conclusion i just want to first of all thank you so much for for coming uh, to this show Thank you for very much. I'm so grateful you're our first guest. I I really feel privileged that you accepted our invitation. Um, I wanted also to finish uh, the conversation to ask you to give us a little bit of information where people can find you. Um, I will also put all the links that are available on the description box on YouTube and also on the audio version of this uh, recording. But if you would like us to uh, would like to share with us a little bit about uh, where they can find you, I know that you have a personal website about the book that would be also interesting. Yes, yeah, so uh, you can go on my website. You will find uh, information. You will find me on social media first and foremost, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, so follow me for staying up to date. Um, um, you can go to my personal website or my uh, Sherman.net or company website token.kitchen. And uh, although the website will be reworked for, for the data-driven farming we're doing, it's a bit outdated currently. And um, yeah, um, uh, if, uh, yeah I'm, I'm currently writing the next edition of the book. The last edition, it's oh, as available as a, uh, for in various languages on GitHub for free. For those mm -hmm. who have troubles buying the book, uh, not every country has easy access to platforms such as Amazon. So for those people, we put it online. Of course, I appreciate people who also buy the ebook 
or the uh, the the physical book but if you can't uh, for whatever reason you will have the free github versions in several languages including farsi which i'm very proud of myself too right thank you very much chairman thank you very much again i for writing your book for coming on the show um i think the message was very clear we have to accept responsibility and show up and i think as you said we can contribute to the future but also be aware of the dangers and risks that uh, we need to conscious of. Um, with that said, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Uh, I put all the links in the description box so you can find them. And with the next episode, I'll see you later. Bye.